Hi, it's Eric Schlein. You're listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Ticker, T-I-K-R dot com. Ticker.com is focused on bringing institutional quality investment research tools to the individual investor. I had personally reached out to Ticker uh, because it is a product and service that I use myself and I love it. Um, Ticker.com is powered by S&P Global Capital IQ, has coverage of over 50,000 stocks globally with financials, estimates, valuation metrics, ownership transcripts. That includes presentations as well, not just you know quarterly conference calls, also news, filings, and more. You can join Ticker.com's free beta today with Ticker.com slash intelligent. That's T-I-K-R dot com slash intelligent. Um, for those that are listening in the car, if you don't remember that, if you have any other value investor friends that use Ticker, they can send you an invite code. So anyway, uh, with that ado, enjoy the episode. And please, 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 if you want uh, some great quality access to information and lots of financials, Definitely check out ticker tikr.com. Welcome to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where modern portfolio theory can suck it. A student of the school of Graham and Doddsville and a clergy member of the Church of Warren Buffett, here's your host, Eric Schlein. Hi, this is Eric Schlein. You're listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, and we have Evan Blaker back onto the show. Evan, hi, how are you? Hey, pretty good. Good morning. It's it's pretty early here for me in Seoul, but it's good to be back talking to you. Yeah, likewise. So what's been new? What's been going on since we last spoke? Not a whole lot. I just uh, ended out 2020. 2020 was a pretty good year for me. The portfolio is sitting at about 60% for the one-year return. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's a nice boost from where it was over the last couple of years. Seems that net nets have come back a little bit, which is always nice to hear. And uh, yeah, just hanging on to some positions and yeah, that's about it. What were the big winners from 2020? <laughs> well, big winners, there's Polar Power. And Polar Power was uh, a net net that I bought for about $1.30. I believe it was about $30 or $1.30. And I sold it for about 5 when the spike came. So I got about a 4 or 5 bagger out of that. And then I, they came out with a press release saying that they might not be able to continue as a going concern. So I took that as a red flag and I saw the, the giant surge in stock price that happened and I decided to exit. And of course, subsequently, the stock went up to $15 <laughs> about later in the year. Anyways, yeah, you never know with these net nets, but it was nice to get out of a five bagger that added a lot to the portfolio. And, and then I got back into Advantage Technologies, which is a net net that I originally bought a couple of years back for the same price, about a buck 30. And I'm just waiting, I'm just riding that one, waiting for the 5G rollout to really get underway. And uh, yeah, I have another one by the name of Caspian that's really started to add to the portfolio in 2021, very late into my one year. Mm. And what were the biggest losers from 2020? Mostly tankers really tanked for me. I didn't have a lot of big losers. But looking at the stocks that I did have, it was definitely the tanker stocks. Part of that is demand destruction from COVID. If everybody's locked in their homes, then there's not a lot of oil demand or gasoline product demand that really takes a hit. And these companies just didn't come back in the way that I thought they would by the end of the year. So I'm sitting at a small loss for them, but I still think that they're hugely undervalued. You're still holding them. Yeah, still holding them. Tankers are not obviously net nets, but 
if you look at all of the assets and liabilities they have, they're definitely trading at a discount to liquidation value. So I consider them cigar butts. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different way of looking at it. Yeah, definitely. But uh, Caspian was actually a really interesting company. Started life as trans world entertainment and not the type of trans world you're thinking of, but uh, they were a CD and video game uh, retailer. So they had a whole mess of shops and they were and, net, they were net years ago i was a yeah, shareholder in them in like 06 i think this is actually my second time in the company i picked it up in i think not 06 but maybe 2016 or 2013 anyways a lot a number of years ago and i rolled that one up but i sold it early and just watched it continue to climb and then when i had another chance to buy it a couple of years back or a year or two back you know, I thought, okay, this is looking like uh, a pretty good value because they had this huge uh, pile of cash. They were trading for under net cash. And yeah, the stores were losing money and, and the founder was gone. But I figured you know, management said that they were closing over the stores and try and shore up profitability, focus on the more profitable locations. But when you're selling CDs and DVDs in an iPod world, things don't quite go that well for you. So they didn't close stores as fast as I thought, but I was able to pick it up at about a 50% discount to net current asset value or net cash effectively. And and then the company went ahead and they ended up buying this other firm called Etails. And Etails was an interesting company. They were founded by some boy wonder entrepreneur who built up this very strong e-commerce company selling things on Amazon or what have you. And then Transworld bought this company. So now they're running effectively two companies. And King Midas' story is anything he touched, he turned to gold. While anything this management team touched turned to crap. And the e-tail started losing money. So I'm looking here at my net. And I bought it at a pre-reverse split adjusted price of 1150 And now, I'm ha- now they're trying to turn around two failing businesses and they're not closing stores uh, nearly fast enough. And so everybody saw what was going on. This, this management team was really blowing it. And the stock proceeded to drop about 80 or 90%. And if your stock drops 90% at that point, you almost don't care if it goes bankrupt or not, because you've pretty much lost all your money at that point. So I was de- pretty depressed. And that was early 2000, sorry, early 2020. And, but I decided what the hell, who knows what's going to happen. They brought on a CEO to run the e-tails companies. Effectively, this division was being led by somebody who was an up-and-coming tech executive who had a pretty decent track record from what I could tell. So I thought, okay, maybe there's some hope there. Maybe there's some hope there in the future. And then in early 2020, the management team came out and said that they sold they sold the CD business, so the transfer legacy business. So the CD and DVD business was going away, and they were going to get a token amount of money and take away most of the company's debt. So I figured, oh, okay, that's really good news. And I crunched the numbers, and I came out to a negative equity value for the company. I'm and I was, that's obviously not net net territory when you're dealing with negative equity, but, but I decided the boat anchor is now gone, right? They, they managed to cut it free. The company has effectively no run room, sorry, no runway left. So I was wondering, okay, well, what's going to happen with this company? And 
slowly the new CEO that the former management hired started clawing the company up out of the grave and forward and increasing operations and business performance little by little, month over month. And I think they, they hit a low of something like 240 or 250. And we're sitting now at a price of, I believe, $54 for the stock. So it's, it went up 20 times in, in the course of a year. Part of me, I'm looking back at this company thinking, okay, should I have doubled down after they said they were going to sell the legacy business? Because it's easy to look back in hindsight and say, yeah, obviously you should have doubled down, idiot. But when you're there and you're looking at the company and you can't see what's going on ahead or what's going to happen for the company, you're immediately thinking of bankruptcy, right? So there is a meet, there is a really good chance that the company would go to zero because they had effectively no, no runway left. You, you could have called the CEO. Yeah, I, I, I said, I could have said, Hey, I know a guy named Eric and he's running a great activist program. <laughs> no, but really though, you could have called the guy up. Yeah. And saying, what are your plans for the company? How do you plan on doing it? Let me get a sense of your thinking. I'm, I'm actually a big believer of speaking to management. I know a lot of people, they don't like to do it because they go, they're CEO, they're they're just going to market to you. But I think I think if you have a good bullshit detector, which may, maybe, yeah. some, maybe some people don't, I personally love talking to management teams. I find yeah. it difficult. Yeah, a call would have been probably pretty good. I agree with you. I contacted these little, these little companies. Often you can speak to management pretty easily too. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's another story we should get into, but yeah, I actually did end up talking to him on LinkedIn and asked him, what's your, I'm an investor. I'm a pretty big investor in this company. What are your plans? And he was initially fine with taking my questions, but then he just wouldn't answer it. And he put me on ignore. So it just ignored the fact that I was trying to ask him questions. So I didn't really know what to make of that, but he was not definitely not keen. To he might've been, he might've been nervous of just having something in writing and then you suing him or it could have just been a legal thing. That's true. And that's probably where a call might've come better. I hate emails and texting. Yeah. And... Yeah. yeah. Maybe I should have phoned him, but uh, later in the year, they ended up getting a pretty sizable line of credit. I guess I gave him more runway and now the company or the new CEO uh, has managed to turn things around. And I guess the TikTok investors have found the company because it's up, I don't know, 200% in the last few weeks. So it's definitely a momentum stock, well, I guess momentum value stock, but definitely not a net net anymore. So yeah, I'm gonna, gonna ride this and gonna see where it takes me, so. All right. Yeah. Any interesting uh, ideas for 2021? Yeah, actually. I do have one here. Let's see if I can pull it up. Yeah, so I have another one that I think might hit the ball out of the park. Now, I say I think because obviously nothing's guaranteed in investing, and I could very well be wrong about this, but at least the prospects seem good and it's cheap. So uh, this company is called Playmates Toys. Uh, you okay. probably heard about it. Yeah, just full disclosure, I own it and my clients own oh, it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> keep... I'm not telling you anything you don't know then. Yeah, Playmates Toys, it's based in Hong Kong. It's trading at right now a price of 32 cents on the last I looked. And it has a market cap of about 50 million US. 
So American equivalent. The entire company is denominated in Hong Kong dollars. Yeah, price of 32 Hong Kong cents, a net current asset value of 76 Hong Kong cents. And so that means it's trading at a discount of about 59%. So very solid discount there. So automatically it's, it's very cheap, at least on a quantitative basis. Now it has an, a lot of net cash. When we're talking about net nets, for any of your viewers who don't know, we're taking the current assets and we're subtracting total liabilities, including preferred shares and any off balance sheet liabilities that might be there. And that's the net. So it's a very hyper conservative way to assess liquidation value of a company. Now, when we're talking about uh, net cash, what we're talking about is instead of the current assets, we're just taking the cash. So cash and cash equivalents. Uh, sometimes you take short-term investments, but it's mostly cash and cash equivalents. And you subtract total liabilities, preferred shares, off-balance sheet liabilities, things like that. And this one's trading at a discount to net cash of 54. So effectively what that means is every dollar that you are putting in this investment, you're getting back two bucks in cash. So yeah, pretty good. The stock has been declining for years and about five years ago it was priced at about $2. And during that time it wasn't profitable and, and the company has just done very poorly since then. But over the last couple of years, they started to acquire rights to produce toys and merchandise for different brands. So Playmates Toys is, is a company that they make basically action figures and kids toys and stuff like that. They've turned to making kids toys and uh, action figures for famous movies and brands. And they've slowly been, over the last couple of years, have been gathering a portfolio of licenses. And I think that this is probably going to play a major role in 2021, 2022. Obviously, there's no guarantee, but we have a number of, <clears throat> number of soon-to-be big movies coming out. You might have heard Godzilla vs. Kong, which is coming out in, I think, a month or so. Yep. And there's also a new Turtles movie, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, coming out. I think that's going to be 2022 or late 2021. So my reasoning is, if these are big hits, if these movies are big hits, or even one of them's a big hit, then the chances are they're going to sell a lot more toys. So there's a catalyst in place there. Now, you never know what a movie is going to do and you never know whether a catalyst is going to work out or not. But if you're looking at a company that's priced 59% below liquidation value and 55% in net cash, really it doesn't take much to move the stock. And I was going to say, I don't even necessarily think they have to either be big hits. They could just do okay. Yeah, they could do okay. That's right. Each could do marginally okay. And but if you have an increase in sales of the company that's uh, trading it, way below cash that could be a catalyst right there absolutely and i wouldn't say you even have to have an increase in sales so much as you have to have a really sizable improvement in the sentiment around the company yeah even if they don't sell a lot of i love how we keep lowering the bar of what needs to happen <laughs> yeah I cover all my bases but if you look back five years ago it was two bucks and when it was trading at two dollars they weren't profitable it wasn't a profitable company back then so what changed over that time it was basically sentiment right people got more and more pessimistic about the company. Now, if they do start producing a profit and their revenues go up, could they hit two bucks again? 
it's possible. They were there before and they weren't profitable. So yeah, we'll see what happens. It's one of the companies that I'm most hopeful about just because of the catalyst and the price. And that's really all it comes down to. So that would be probably my most interesting net currently. Interesting. Yeah. And what about one more? You have one more? One, one more net net. I like, do can have I, can one. Can I get one but, more out of you? <laughs> uh, I do have one. And okay. this one is called TLV Holdings. Okay. And TLV Holdings is traded in Singapore. And they're effectively uh, a jeweler. So they have a number of shops in Singapore. They're trading only for about six and a half Singapore cents. So these are all penny stocks. If you have a penny stock phobia, then you know this is obviously not for you. But if you really don't care, and if you want to buy value, no matter what the stock is trading at, then... Yeah. Uh, and just for full disclosure too, I have clients that own this one as well. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they are a jewelry jewelry uh, retailer, and they had master of net nets. You got to be a little impressed. I know every single one of these so far. <laughs> well, I know everything, so I'm, I'm not really not not really not, not, not in the least. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they own a, a number of shops, and retail, especially jewelry, didn't do very well when the entire country was locked down. Obviously, their 2020 or trailing 12 months results are terrible. And they also, a, a large portion uh, of their business came from uh, jewelry conventions. And Which have gone that, to, to, to oh yeah, nothing. That's just completely disappeared. And so they had absolutely nothing from that over the 12, last 12 months. The stock went from, I think, about 15 cents down to five. I picked it up for about five and a half cents. So, yeah, I definitely own this one. And it's since traded up uh, to about six and uh, six and six point six cents or something like that, Singaporean cents. It's, it's interesting that there's a lot of these sort of larger companies a lot of them have like the ones that have been hit hard by COVID. Yeah. A lot of their stock prices have come back just having this forward looking, well, travel comes back in 2023. <clears throat> That'll be good for some of the airlines or yeah. airline leasing companies. But I've noticed with some of these, they haven't recovered in the way they should. If they do recover with COVID personally, one of the themes that I've been looking at for 2021 are what are some net. So, you know, I, I own other kinds of stocks too, but in terms of the net book, you know, what are net nets that I could buy when TLV is one of them? And then I like Playmates for the other catalyst, but what are nets that currently are totally depressed and the big hit to their business had something to do with COVID? Yeah. Because it's like, as we were talking about you before the show, it's if something can go from horrible to less bad, that could be yeah. the catalyst in and of itself. You go from having an entire part of your business destroyed or, you know, at least temporarily gone to zero. If it goes from zero to not zero, if it goes to some positive number, that in of itself could be the catalyst. And, and it's interesting how some of these businesses are not, their price is not reacting probably just because they're so small. Yeah. And so if you look back over the last few years, you had a number of net nets that are obviously good values, but the market really wasn't paying attention to them. And I think that what happens when you're in um, a bubble or a tech bubble, like we were, and I guess still are, when big tech is really ruling the day, it's 
it sucks up a lot of the capital on the market. Yep. So a lot of this money that would be going to values, it basically is not going to values. So a lot of these really insanely cheap companies with strong catalysts just get overlooked. Everybody's yeah. buying Facebook. And I don't even have to say that. I don't think all of tech is in a bubble. I think some of these, every company now wants to be a SaaS company. Right. So maybe some of those businesses, they end up never making money or are going to obviously be really overvalued. But like, I don't think Facebook or Google or Amazon is, is is wildly priced at all. Actually, I think they're they're probably a good, over the next 10 years, probably you probably do okay or pretty good even. It's definitely <clears throat> it's my uh, circle of competence. So I'll have to decline to, <laughs> to pass judgment there. But I do think that there are some names in that are seriously in bubble ter- territory. Oh, to- uh, totally. I think though, in general, right, the capital is flowing to these large companies, to tech, some being in a bubble. You could argue about valuation, but some in a bubble, some not in a bubble. But they're not going to these kinds of businesses. So I think that's where the opportunity is. Absolutely. And I think it's a weird, I think it's actually kind of a weird market where you have pockets of the market that are really expensive. Right. And then pockets of the market that are really cheap. And I would even look at it when last year, for instance, found a lot of very interesting net nets where there was interesting stuff happening that was not being taken into account. But then I also found like, to, to own Facebook at a market multiple also is super cheap. Mm. But that that was getting lumped in with, say, some young new SaaS company that, that's going to grow at 100% a year for the next five years and, and trading at 1,000 times sales or some stuff like that. So I, I just think it, it's one of these markets where it, it really is a stock pickers market. Like I would not be comfortable just like buying ETFs of the tech sector. Like that, that would make me nervous. But I yeah. think if you can, if you can pick and choose, if I can own a growth company in a market multiple, if, if, look, if you look, if you think a company is going to grow at 20% a year for the next five years, that should, that, that should trade at 50 times earnings, 60 times earnings, and you'll make money yeah. on the, yeah. on the flip side, if you have a net and there is some interesting catalyst ahead, it shouldn't be a net. Yeah. Uh, definitely, definitely. I try and buy net nets that will turn into growth companies. <laughs> it's well, that, that's that's the dream, right? That, that's the dream for sure. And they really come. It really comes down to looking at the qualitative factors of the company. So I don't think necessarily that TLV Holdings will turn into a growth company, but it will get its business back. All you have to have is jewelry conventions come back, and that's the catalyst. Definitely, definitely. Or if you can um, buy like a casino that's been shut down. Yeah, yeah. And if they're in a good, if they have a good balance sheet position, yeah, you know, and I think there's one or two casinos right now that are net nets. So there's, there are industries where I'd say, this is my playbook. I would love to hear yours. My playbook is look for businesses where you believe the earning impairment has been temporary and that it'll come back as we have the vaccine rollout. And if that's not being taken into account in the stock price and it's a net, I think a basket of those does extreme, like not even very well. I think it does extremely well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that does really well. And that is a very good strategy in my eyes. My, my strategy is a little bit different and okay. uh, it's not to say it's better, but uh, it's just a little bit different. I mean, it could be worse. But yeah, what I was saying is I like to find net nets that will turn into growth companies. Obviously that's the dream, but what I really try to do is I look at 
companies that are extremely cheap relative to net current asset value, or they have to be trading at a meaningful discount to net current asset value. And there is a major catalyst in play, something that, that management's doing or something inherent in the market that will turn the company's fortunes around, or at least show that the future is likely to be much better than the present. And uh, you can find those companies in NetNets. You just, it takes some digging. It takes some, some knowledge of business and uh, some deeper knowledge, some worldly wisdom, as uh, Charlie Munger would put it. Um, yeah. You should look at a company called, or have you rather looked at a Rubicon technology? Have you heard of that one? I have actually. I haven't looked at it clo- closely recently. When I last looked at it, they had- That could fit your, that might fit your criteria of one of those. It definitely might. I know it wasn't as cheap as I would have liked, and I didn't see that they had uh, much in the way of the ongoing business. I know they do Redbox. I think it's called Redbox. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that company is growing, but it just seems very small relative to the market cap. Yeah. So it could be waiting for a while. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Just was one idea. Yeah. Do they have anything else on the in the works that you know of? Um, not that I know of. It was just like the management is like decent and they seem to care about capital allocation and it's trading like at around cash yeah yeah so i think it, you actually do have this this potential growth in the business not like yeah. it's not like some crook running it or some super incompetent ceo and yeah. you <laughs> the cushion is that you have a cash cushion my my take on that scenario is that you're effectively buying into a startup situation with very smart founders because what's going to happen is they're going to use the cash to buy a business. Mm-hmm. The business is going to be, it's either going to need some turning around or some growing. It's going to be small. Which uh, by the so, way, in this market, that will be perceived in a positive light. Okay. And I think companies in general, right, especially in a low interest rate environment, Jeremy Raper I've had on the show, one of the, I think the things he likes to discuss is, which is very taboo in value investing circles, but he has no problem talking about it is how is the market how does the company get perceived by the market? Yeah. Which he says is important because if it's perceived well and the stock goes up, now you have this option of currency, right? Stock is currency. Yeah. Or if a stock's always cheap, now you have a limit, a, one less option as a way to make an acquisition. Yeah. One less option, a way to, to grow. And for a small company, it could be meaningful. So yeah. <clears throat> if you have a company where there's lots of cash sitting around in a low interest rate environment, those kinds of businesses get punished by the market. Yeah, and at least yeah. in today's market. Yeah. So if you can buy a business, have less cash on the balance sheet, and you're making some money, that's going to be rewarded by the market. At least that's what I would think it would, that would be perceived as a net positive by the market. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Cash doesn't, <laughs> cash doesn't do much for you in an environment where you're making basically nothing. So you have to put that cash to work. So with Rubicon, you're really betting on two things. Number one, you're betting on his skill to find a promising company. And number two, you're betting on his team skill to turn that company around and or grow it. Yeah, it's definitely not a bad bet to make. And and I would definitely, I'm definitely going to take another look at it with regards to having having the market reassess a company or look at a company differently. 5G, polar power went up to 15, 16 bucks because of sentiment. And looking back in 2018, and it just so happens that 2018 is when I bought a lot of these <laughs> companies that haven't worked out till now. But uh, 2018, I picked up, oh, what's the name? Advantage Technologies. 
So I, I know about Advantage Technologies. And yeah, you, brought, you brought that up briefly at the beginning of the show. Yeah, so Advantage Technologies is a, I guess I would, I would call it a telecom equipment and, and network service company. So I'll break that down a little bit. Sure. They have some legacy businesses where they sell things like telecom equipment. So phones, receivers, switches, gizmos, all that type of stuff. And then they have, they have another division, which is basically a glorified electrical company. So they hang equipment. So they go around for all the network companies and they set up cell phone antennas and connect wires and, and charge a lot of money for it. Now, a lot of your listeners will probably know that the 5G rollout is basic. We're basically on the cusp of a massive rollout, a massive technological change. Can't talk in the morning of with regards to, to networks. And we're moving up from LTE, which a lot of people said was 4G. It's L, it's 3G plus basically to 5G. So it's a whole other standard lightning fast speeds. And this is going to be a major driver for, for a lot of these tech companies. Now, in order to set this network up, I read from industry experts that it's going to take somewhere between five and 30 times the number of towers that is currently operating for the 3G network. Now, obviously, if you have a company that it's one of its core businesses is setting up these networks, then it's going to see a lot of business over you know the next couple of years. And I don't think a lot of people have really clued into that. With Advantage Technologies, they have the service company, and they're basically going to be doing a lot of work for this rollout. Management projected that within three, four years, they could be doing, I think, 250 or $275 million in revenue. And the last I looked, I think, obviously, the stats aren't right in front of me, but that was a 5x increase in revenue for the company. And, and it's a net-net right now? It was a net net when I picked up in 2018. I picked it up for a buck thirty, shot yeah. up to six bucks, and I decided not to sell because the rollout hadn't even started yet. And it dropped to below two dollars during COVID, and I picked it up again. And yeah, I'm just basically waiting for things to unfold. So, but yeah, that's another example of uh, sentiment because if solar power can go up, to yeah, it's a it's a two eighty six right now. So if Polar Power can, you know, shoot up to 16 bucks based on sentiment, and I don't even know if they've really done much for the business yet, but uh, yeah, I yeah, think Advantage Technologies is going to see some big moves. I'm hoping they will. I'm thinking they will. They might not, but I think it's highly likely. Interesting. Evan, interesting as always. I appreciate you coming on. Anything else you want to, you think we should discuss that we didn't discuss or, I mean, is that about it? There's all, there's a ton of giant world factors that I'm not experts on. The U.S. crisis, COVID, I can, <laughs> I, I can really share my misinformation on those topics if you want. But I think in the investment space, I think I've yeah. uh, done what I've, what it can do today. So. All right, cool. Appreciate you coming on like always. For those who are interested in net net stocks and want to be part of that community and get access to some great research tools, netnethunter.com. And then you can also look at Evan's book that just came out. You have it in the background, don't you? So, is that yours? Oh, yeah, I just keep it there just because Benjamin Graham's net net stocks. Uh, so it's available on Amazon if you want to pick it up. And All uh, right. 
Yeah, I cover not just net nets, but also the strategies that some gurus who have invested in nets in the past, like Warren Buffett and Benjamin Graham and what their strategies and have some case studies and stuff. So it might be interesting. Nope. Yeah. Th- those who want to learn about net nets or deepen their knowledge of it, I highly recommend the book. It was a great read. Awesome. Thank you. You got it, man. All right. Have a good rest of your, I guess, your morning and <laughs> I'll talk to you later. Coffee. Yeah. All right. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast with Eric Schlein. If you'd like to connect with Eric for questions, comments, feedback, ideas, or to inquire about being on the show, please contact Eric at intelligentinvesting at gmail.com. So in the words of Charlie Munger, I have nothing to add.